On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, a brand new trailer for Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and Out. And wow, it actually looks pretty good. Also, first reactions for the new film, The Creator Out, and they're calling it classic and maybe the best film of the year. Why is no one, and I mean no one, excited for this new Star Wars Ray movie that they've announced? Also, a Marvel visual effects coordinator talks about the nightmare situation that visual effects artists had working on Falcon the Winter Soldier. And also, Chris Evans hints that he could be open to coming back under certain circumstances, and he lays out which ones. That and a whole bunch more of the John Cabot Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Camp Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it's an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, guys, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also trying to give you some background and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the exact same or maybe even different from ours. Joining me in studio today, got Ray Ora over there. Hey, what's up, everyone? Jonathan Voiko's here. Hey. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett is here. How you doing, Rob? John's good to be here. How you and, doing? And uh, most importantly... You guys are here. Thank you so much for making this show part of your day, and here's how the show's going to go. We're going to break it into two parts. We're going to talk about all those topics that I listed off. Then the last part of the show, we're going to take questions and topics from our YouTube channel members. We have a YouTube channel. We have a great group of supporters known as our YouTube channel members. You should consider becoming one of them. And every day we ask them to submit some topics, and we get through as many as we can every day. Now, also, don't forget, if you are checking this out on YouTube, we have a podcast. The John Campbell Show podcast is primarily done as a podcast. So if you need that audio-only version for when you're driving in your car, maybe you're on the train, maybe you're in the gym, whatever, go and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. So it'll be there whenever you need it. All right, that down. Let's get on to this, shall we? So it was with great befuddlement that I heard a while ago that they were going to do another Hunger Games movie. A prequel, and for those of you who've watched me for any period of time, you know I kind of eh, shrug away from the idea. I, I recoil, Rob, at the term <laughs> prequels. I, I'm not a big fan of prequels in general. There's there's some exceptions. Some have been very, very good. But for the most part, I don't like the idea of prequels, and I, I just did not understand why you would go back and do another Hunger Games one. They showed us our first preview for it at CinemaCon back in April. It wasn't bad, actually. Yeah. wasn't bad. Well, they've launched a new trailer for it. Now, let's look at the history of this. And this question I had, why would you do another one? Well, the numbers maybe suggest why. Take a look at this. The Hunger Games movies have made, the technical term is, an ass load of money. Uh, the first one that came out made $694 million. The second one, Catching Fire, made $865 million. The third one, Mockingjay Part 1, made $755 million. And that final one there made $653 million. So you're talking about billions. I mean, this franchise is one that made billions and billions of dollars. So I guess that kind of answered the question I had. Why would you make another one? There it is. Well, now a brand new trailer has dropped for The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And the only reason I'm remembering the title is because I have it written out in front of me. I never remember the title of this thing, Shoots and Ladders, whatever. But Songbirds and Snakes. And damn it, if this doesn't actually look like a really good movie. 
Like, and I, I've watched it a couple of times, this trailer. And I watched it the first time. I thought, this, this is a really good trailer. I thought, okay, I'm going to watch it again. And this time I'm resetting my mindset and I'm just going into it. Forget it's a Hunger Games movie. Just forget it's a Hunger Games movie. Just watch this trailer. And on its own, removed from the IP, I thought it was just a damn good trailer that made this movie look really interesting. And you know I've had very little excitement about this, very little expectation for this. But I got to give credit where it's due. And maybe the movie is going to be hot garbage. But I got to say this trailer looks really good. And listen, they cast this thing like they were trying to make something serious. Look at this cast. Rachel Ziegler, who was just magnificent in West End Story. Viola Davis, who is just a god. Jason Schwartzman, who I love. Peter Dinklage. And we haven't seen a lot of Tom Blythe. He's been in a couple things that I haven't really seen a lot of. Uh, the only thing I've really seen him in was when he was a young rascal scamp running around in Russell Crowe's terrible Robin Hood movie. <laughs> but uh, he's all grown up now. Uh, so you got a, a pretty killer cast here. It looks great. Color me really surprised, Rob, because again, this is not something I've had any anticipation for, but I give credit where it's due. This is a solid trailer, and I am suddenly really looking forward to this movie. You had a chance to check it out. What was your reaction to it? Dude, I think this looks great. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I read all the Hunger Games books. I wasn't as big a fan of Mockingjay, either the movies or the book, but I like the universe that was created, and I think the idea of going back and Coriolanus snow. Yeah. You know, I keep saying all this snow. That's Russell Brand's character from Get Him to the Greek and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Um, pet, pet the furry walls. But I, I think, you know, you go back and if you're going to do a prequel, it looks like how does a man like President Snow, how is he forged? And first of all, the performances, Schwartzman is perfect, a perfect precursor. I mean, he looks like so much like a young. The young character that um, what what's why am I freezing um, on his name? You know, I'm 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 uh, uh, drawing a blank too. But he, I love that actor. Uh, he's perfect. Viola Davis, can she do no wrong? I mean, <laughs> she is bringing another one of these fearsome, earth shaking performances to the screen. She looks fantastic in this movie. Just hearing her voiceover, I'm like getting shivers. But the 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 performance. By the way, Stanley the, Tucci. Stanley Tucci, right. And the, the uh, Rick Benzolo, if you're a wise guy fan. And the, the story of, of Snow's sort of forging, making who he is. You know, I was looking at this going, okay, this guy's like Grand Moff Tarkin. This looks to me like this is the Grand Moff Tarkin origin story. And it's kind of what I've always wanted to see in the Star Wars universe in terms of its scope, its characters. I mean, this movie looks, to me, fantastic. It really does for what it for what it is, and the fact that Susan Collins comes back and like, well, I'm going to write a prequel about President Snow. I mean, that could have gone two ways, and it looks like it went the way that I am surprised and happy about. I thought ninety percent chance I thought it was going to go the other way. I, I thought, did too. I, I listen. I'll I'll admit it. I thought when I heard that they were doing that, I thought that's a stupid idea. Not no one's going to be interested in a, a young President Snow. Who cares? This trailer sold it. Also, the world. Yeah. The effects are incredible. I mean, Francis Lawrence is an incredible director. I mean, I first remember seeing him. He did Constantine with with uh, Keanu Reeves. You know, he did like Water for Elephants, which I didn't love, but it was it looked great. This movie just looks great. It like looks real. Like the visual effects are great. Everything is on point. Dude, I can't wait for this. Uh, and by the way, I did not feel that way when I walk, woke up this morning. <laughs> this has changed this is the, my opinion of this movie has changed uh drastically in the last three hours so 
Good on them. Good on them. And that's what a good trailer should do. Um, all right, guys. Did you have a chance to see the new trailer? Uh, maybe you're not a Hunger Games fan. I'm, I'm not. I really liked one or two of the movies, but I'm not overall a big Hunger Games fan. But I thought this looked great. Let us know what you guys think down below. All right. With that down, guys, let's talk about this, shall we? Speaking of movies that I have not been excited about, The Creator uh, is one that they first showed us our preview for it back at CinemaCon in April. And I was with the whole group and they played this preview for The Creator. And I was the only one in the room that didn't think it looked all that good, to be honest with you. Everybody else loved what they saw. And I thought, meh. I mean, I, I really liked the director, um, but I was like, I don't think this looks all that good. Now, the last trailer came out and I went, okay, now it's got me on board now. Now I'm on board. Well, they just had the premiere for the film and the first reaction, the full reviews are not out yet, but the first reactions are now coming out and some are calling it an all-time sci-fi classic, could be best film of the year, all that kind of stuff. Listen to some of the reactions we got. Brandon Davis Writes, the creator is astonishingly good. Best film of the year and best sci-fi film in ages, in my opinion. Gareth Edwards flips uh, expectations really impressively for visceral, touching, and creative story uh, of humanity. Genuinely loved it. You have to see this one. Uh, Hunter Bolding writes, Gareth Edwards doesn't miss with the creator. The movie takes uh, place alongside Terminator 2, Alien, and Star Wars as absolute smashing examples of how sci-fi can parallel our world. It's easily among the best films of the year. Again, this is, this is not small praise we're getting here. Uh, Griffin Schiller writes, The creator is a masterful piece of original sci-fi. Gareth Edwards is one of our great filmmakers. A soulful, nuanced, Lucas-like uh, interrogation of a human beliefs and biases and our insecurity in the face of something greater. Spe uh, spectacle and heart to the highest order. Pure cinema, baby. Uh, Courtney Howard writes, uh, though it pulls from identifiable inspirations, the creator is one of the best original sci-fi epics in years. Massively entertaining, enthralling, and profound on every level. Gareth Edwards constructs an immersive world and fills it with compelling characters. Absolutely radical. Uh, Perry Nemiroff writes, visually, the creator is phenomenal. If you want a cinematographer on the rise to keep your eye on, it's Oren Soffer. This movie is one stunning frame after the next. We also go to our friend Jermaine Lucier, who writes, the creator is a bold, fun sci-fi delight. It has an engrossing story, gorgeous visuals, resonant themes, and epic action. My main problem is that it didn't make me cry. It tries very hard, but a tiny lack of connection means it just misses being a perfect package, but only uh, just. Uh, we go on to Kristen uh, Maldonado, who writes, The Creator is an ambitious sci-fi odyssey with a profound take on humanity, acceptance, and freedom at its core. John David Washington gives a career best performance, while Madeline Yuna uh, Voilis, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, proves she's a young actor to watch. The third act surprised me. Uh, this film went there. I'm curious to know where there is. Uh, also, we got Joseph Declamere writes, The Creator is a masterpiece and one of the year's best movies. It hits on so many levels with AI being such a hot topic. Gareth Edwards does a masterful job of keeping the audience engaged every step of the way. Uh, it, it just goes on and on. Rob, we hear sometimes with movies, first reactions come out saying, it's great. It's really good. Had a blast. Had a good time. It is not often that we hear the first reaction saying, this is one of the best sci-fi movies ever. 
This is the best thing made in years. This is maybe the best film of the year. Remember, we're talking about a year that we've got Oppenheimer and, and stuff like that out. Uh, this is way beyond anything I was expecting as somebody who was not impressed with the first presentation we saw. But I'm all of a sudden extremely excited to see this. What have you been expecting from the creator? What has your anticipation level been like? It and, and what do you think? And what's standing out to you about the reactions we're hearing? Well, first of all, you know, I really like Gareth Edwards' first movie, Monster. And he made it for not a lot of money. And he did a lot of the visual effects himself. And when I saw that film, I'm like, here's a new filmmaking voice. And I can't wait to see what new original material he makes. And then, of course. When is he old? Monster was like 13 years ago. Yeah. Like, and it feels like it's he didn't do it all that long ago. 13 years 13 ago. years ago. And then, of course, he gets co-opted to do Godzilla. You know, like kind of like Colin Trevorrow does Safety Not Guaranteed. And then he's off to do Jurassic World. And I kind of was bummed out because I'm like, okay, that's fine. But what I wanted from him was a new vision. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I'd hoped to see from him. And now he's been able to cut his teeth on two massive studio movies, which, you know, were problematic in terms of their production. He brought in Tony Gilroy to help on both. And and to see this film get these kinds of notices. Look, I technically this movie looks amazing to me. The world building is incredible. The new trailers have me hooked. But to hear this kind of enthusiastic response... Really, I, I'm very excited to see this, an original, non-IP, science fiction, epic story that, sure, I'm sure it's going to be very familiar to me on certain levels, but I don't care. Um, I can't wait to see it. You know and- what it feels like to me? It feels like um, Children of Men had a baby with District 9, or, yeah, with District 9. That's kind of, it, it, almost, it looks a little bit like a Neil Blomkamp movie in some ways right. on its surface, but with a Children of Men kind of feel to it. Yeah, a little Alfonso Cuaron doing a, yeah, because, it, you know, it, it's funny that you say that, because uh, Children of Men had this sort of melancholy, this is the end of humanity feel. And I really love Children of Men. I think it's a great film. Oh, it's fabulous. But yeah. this does, you're right. I mean, mood-wise, even in the trailer, you get that Children of Men vibe. Maybe it'll make a, a, a great double bill with Children of Men mm-hmm. in revival houses from now until the end of time. Now, Ray, this is some justification for you because you've been all on board the creator from the first time. you Like when we were in Vegas in April and you saw this, you've been 100% on board with this movie. What do you think about these reactions we're hearing? I think the first time we saw the trailer and that the child, they, they turned their head. Yeah, and then you see and the robotic then you see parts. Back, yeah. That's where I was like, okay, this is cool. And then we, <laughs> say, we saw the shots of like, I think there's a, there's a war obviously going on. Yeah. And we see the behind the, the, the ships and you see the island that they're on. I thought that shot looked great. We're seeing it in eight days on the 28th. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to see this. I, I love John David Washington. I think he's a good actor. And uh, Gemma Chan's in this too. So it would be good to see her on screen again. I, I keep forgetting that Gemma Chan's in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, John, what else? If this movie does well, I think that there's a clear message being sent by the movie going uh, public that they want to see original. This follows up on Barbie. This follows up on Oppenheimer. It's a new science fiction epic. And if it does well, I think it says sends a clear message to the studios and maybe we'll get more original material coming from very talented filmmakers. I, see, I, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I, I, I bristle against that a little bit just because there's been a lot of original movies made over the last time. It's just that the audience hasn't gone to support it. Right, but I mean, at this level. Yeah, on the, but now that brings us to the next question, though. 
because on top of the fact that I didn't really love what I saw back at CinemaCon, like obviously I'm pretty excited about it now. I said at the time, this movie's not going to make any money. I still don't think this movie's going to make any money. Right. Like I hope it does for the, all the reasons you just said, right? Like show that, take chances, make these types of movies that we do we would like to see. If if I had to give you an over under percentage, like, what are the chances this thing can make a hundred million dollars opening weekend? I, I I'm gonna go like five percent. I think it's gonna yeah. be closer to like, honestly, I think it's gonna be closer to like thirty five million. Opening I weekend. I agree with you, and even that's high. You I think, think so? Yeah, and look, I'm just excited. This weekend on Hulu, I believe it's No One Will Save You is starting. That Catherine Deaver, the Alien Invasion oh, Home yeah. Invasion movie. Yeah. I mean, this is this is these are Fox movies. You know, Fox is is sort of over 20th Century Studios that Disney owns. They they made Prey on Hulu. They made the Hellraiser movie on, on Hulu. Hulu. Something <laughs> in the some uh, No One Will Save You Hulu. Now this coming out theatrically. I mean, Fox has sort of quietly been, you know, Steve Asbell and the team over at 20th Century Studios, they're doing some good work. Good for them. Let's see them, uh, let's see them go, <laughs> let's give them their time in the sun to shine. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, speaking of making big sci-fi movies, they announced a little while ago, uh, for some reason, uh, that they are going to be making <laughs> a new Star Wars movie focusing on Rey. Yes. <laughs> but maybe you've noticed not a lot of excitement <laughs> surrounding that. And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, if you guys have a question or topic for the show you'd like us to address and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call the hotline number anytime, 24-7 at 951-268-4259. Every day we pick out one or two and address them. And today's is about where's the excitement for this Ray movie? Check it out. Hey, how's it going, John? I'm Marcus from Edmonton, Alberta here. And I'm calling about the Ray movie that's been in development at uh, Lucasfilm. I just wanted to say that I think that the Ray movie, a lot of people aren't very excited about it, but I think Kathleen Kennedy knows that she messed up a lot of stuff with the sequels, especially with the fan base, although they were very profitable movies. And I think that this is Kathleen Kennedy trying to make us love Ray again like most people did after maybe the first movie. What do you think? All right, Marcus, thanks a lot for calling that in from Edmonton, Alberta. I love that town. Um, okay, the couple of things that you said there to unpack. Um, <laughs> number one, did most people like Ray after the first movie? Yeah, I, I, th I think people kind of rewrite history a little bit because the second and third films were big dips. But after the first movie, aside from people with their political agendas, women shouldn't be in Star Wars, whatever, um, most people really, look, a lot of people forget that the number one all-time movie in America, all-time, is not Avatar, is not Endgame, it's Star Wars The Force Awakens. The Star Wars The Force Awakens made over $900 million domestically alone, and it's a record that I don't know is ever going to be beat, at least maybe not in my lifetime. Uh, it's it's an incredible what it did here. And a lot of people were really very, very much on board with the film. And they really liked her. I was one of them. I really liked her. And by the way, I still love Daisy Ridley. I think she's a phenomenal talent. I do. As far as why Kathleen Kennedy is doing it, this, the more negative me would say, because she's trying to give a final F you to Disney when she leaves and walks out the door, I, I like still 
telling by the end of the year, she's going to be out. Um, but that's probably not it. That's just the, the pessimistic side of me. You might be right though. Like it, it, it might be a shot at justification, like saying, look, this character that I helped shepherd in, she didn't create the character, but she helped shepherd in the Ray character, you know, is, uh, can really work and can be a big movie. And by the way, you're right to point out that with all the divisiveness and the mixed reactions to the Star Wars sequels, the reality is each and every one of them made over a billion dollars. I mean, I know it sounds weird to say, Kathleen Kennedy has a higher billion dollar rate than Kevin Feige does. Her billion dollar per movie rate is higher than Kevin Feige's percent. Kevin Feige's made over 25 films, Kathleen Kennedy not nearly as many, but still it's, it's kind of an interesting statistic. Um, but you're right. Generally speaking, you're not hearing anybody being really excited about it. And by the way, when I say nobody's excited about it, obviously there are some people who are excited about it, right? That's the beautiful thing about movies and the art is that all of us have things we like, even if other people don't. So I'm sure there's probably somebody watching the show that is really excited about the Ray movie. And that's great. I'm not trying to, you know, rain on that parade. But why are most people not excited about it? The character started off well. I, I, I mean, I really liked Ray in the first film. She was kind of a quintessential kind of Star Wars character. The problem is, is that Star Wars itself kind of mangled the character with the, which again, I think all of Star Wars's ills over the last number of years all comes down to the one underlying problem is that they never had a plan and they just winged it and they just went and did whatever, you know, it was never anybody's intention that Ray was going to end up as the granddaughter of Palpatine. That was never part <laughs> of the plan. That was the last second of, well, what the fuck are we going to do? We lost all our directors now. I, 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 Palpatine. The dead speak, John. The dead speak. Grand Pappy Palpatine. <laughs> it, like, it's just, oh, wait, he built the largest fleet in the history of the galaxy. Nobody noticed. Okay. And they're all Star Destroyers now? Like, I mean, they're all Death Stars now? Okay, cool. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the travesty that was the rise of Skywalker. But that being said, they themselves really undermined the character and Ray fairly or unfairly. And maybe it's unfair kind of became the face and the representation of that. No plan directionless star Wars. And she's kind of the representative of it. And so I think fairly or unfairly, Rob, I don't know what you think about this, but I think fairly or unfairly now when people think of Ray, the character, you cannot help but think about the sequel trilogy as a whole and all the problems that came. And I say this as somebody who loved the first one. I loved The Force Awakens. I really did. I had a great time with it. Schnepp and I must have gone like a dozen times on our lunch breaks to go, go across the street, watch The Force Awakens. I loved it, but... What became clear is that it was directionless, it was aimless, and every problem that comes with being directionless happened. And I think, fairly or unfairly, she's kind of the representation of that. Do you think our caller is right to say that people are just not excited about the prospects of a Ray movie? I mean, obviously, we're on record that we don't think this is a movie they should do, but uh, if they're not excited, why do you think people aren't excited for her? What do you think? Well, I think it's it's all of these things, but you know, when it really comes right down to it, you have to look at star Wars, the first star Wars as the template for the entire universe. That movie 
is fun. All the way through, from the very beginning, the first time, you know, you get inside that blockade runner and, did you hear that? They've shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. There'll be no there'll be no escape for the princess this time. You're listening to some effete robot speaking in a in a in a very British accent to this astromech droid going, who the hell are these people? <laughs> and you have a smile on your face. And when you meet Princess Leia, because you meet her way before Luke, what does she do? She's got a gun. She takes out, she's putting secret plans into R2. She she's gunning down stormtroopers when she gets when she gets um uh, confronting Vader, this bad guy who comes, who's twice her size, Darth Vader. Only you could be so bold. I mean, immediately when you meet her, she is a badass. And she's getting in the face of people. She's lying to Tarkin. She's like, this is some rescue. She grabs a stormtrooper blaster. She's fun. You love her. Ray, never fun. She's not fun. She's every time you're with her, it's like I'm waiting for Ray to have some kind of fun in this in this movie. I want to have fun watching her. Never did. And as a Star Wars character, she'd be nothing else than bring a smile and put a smile on your face. And I'm not saying I mean Daisy Ridley always felt like she was kind of depressed. She felt like like the emo chick in high school that you'd never talk to that always sat in the back. She's Ali Sheedy in Breakfast Club. <laughs> You know, drawing her morose pictures, putting dandruff found as snow on them, like in the movie. And I'm just like, why, why are they want to, they, they, they made this whole trilogy around her. It's like, man, I'm, I could be Kylo Ren's girlfriend. And if, if she was embraced, that could be fun. Toss against the galaxy. Let's go. You know, but it was never that way. So I don't see that in the force awakens, all of it was kind of fun. Cause it was all new and all that, but, but moving forward, I don't think the audience, the worldwide audience was really with her. And by the time you get to Rise of Skywalker, it was not fun at all. And you're like, why am I watching her? What about her inspires me as a character? And I think I understand why you might want to build a movie around her. And I understand there's a whole you know, a group of young girls that Ray was their first experience with a Star Wars character and they loved her. But do the whole, does the worldwide audience, can we not wait for the return of Ray? I don't think so. Yeah, I'll I'll give one little bit of defense, but about right, like Leia was raised royalty, very rich and wealthy, and she was a princess. It's whereas Ray grew up in a desert, fighting for water to survive. So th this is a little see, bit, not fun. No, yeah, not fun. <laughs> but here's you know, there's the other thing too. I talked about this. Uh, I I did my ten things the other day. Ten things that James Gunn needs to do philosophically to make sure the DC I watch that succeeds. But there's this differentiation between I believe action. An adventure. There's a lot of movies today that put in a lot of action, but they don't have adventure. When you look at that first Star Wars movie, that at its heart was an adventure film. It, like very much like the first Indiana Jones, like very much an adventure. You, you feel like you are whisked away on this grand adventure with these characters. And while I loved The Force Awakens, loved that movie, and I hate and I, you know, hated where it went and where it ultimately ended up. But one thing that even I'll say about it is that the new Star Wars movie never had that sense of adventure. You know, there was action. There was some very good action, but it didn't have adventure like the original Star Wars movies did. But that's that's just something. And, and who knows? Listen, maybe this movie does, does get made, and I'll put money that this movie never gets made. I don't think this movie ever gets made, to be honest with you. But let's say it does get made. Maybe it comes out. Maybe it's awesome. Maybe everybody flocks to it. I, I'd love to see that. That'd be great. I love. I want every movie to be great, and I want every movie to succeed. But I don't think it's going to happen. 
So I don't know. We'll see what goes on there. All right, guys, listen. We still have a couple more things we need to talk about. Talk about a Marvel visual effects coordinator talking about the nightmare scenario was to do Falcon and the Winter Soldier and how that kind of reflects where the visual effects industry stands right now. Also, Chris Evans hinting that he could return under certain circumstances as Captain America. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a moment here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money and my favorite dental health provider, Quip. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Quip. Guys, you know that good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. For example, their incredible electric toothbrush. Guys, I've been using electric toothbrushes for years, and this is easily the best one I've ever owned. Time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. A lightweight and sleek design for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. Reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues, as well as bright plastic colors sure to make a pop on your bathroom counter. Skip the bath and snap into healthy habits with the new rechargeable electric toothbrush. All the features of the original Quip plus one magnetic charge powers up to three months of brushing. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from just $7. So if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, or water flosser. That's your 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water flosser at getquip.com slash campia. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and Quip for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. By the way, again, the, the Quip stuff has been a revelation for me using their, their toothbrush, their water pick. Their mints are fantastic. The gum, the dental care gum they use is really good. Highly recommend you check them out. Of course, Rocket's been saving me money for a long time. Check both of those sponsors out. All right. With that down, guys, let's talk about this, shall we? You know, it's been a part of the, the the community narrative for a while about the difficulty that visual effects artists have working in this industry. There is nobody in this industry that is more overworked and under-recognized and underappreciated than the visual effects artists. Oh, Oh, movie fans are very quick to complain about visual effects in something. But just a couple of years ago, even the worst visual effects today would have been considered witchcraft uh, to see today. And the even in the bad visual effects we see today, the amount of work 
that goes into it. And the sheer accomplishment to even sometimes pull off bad visual effects is monumental. And it's the problem is visual effects have gotten so good, we don't appreciate how good they are anymore. Now, if visual effect isn't perfect, it's massively criticized. When we fail to appreciate just how much artistry and wizardry goes into even some bad visual effects or what we consider today to be bad visual effects. But artists are worked to the bone. We've had a lot of discussions and talk about it. Well, recently, a visual effects coordinator for Marvel uh, was being interviewed and talked about the absolute nightmare scenario they had working on not even a motion picture, but a Disney plus Marvel MCU show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. A show that I thought was pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't think it was great, but it certainly had some big highlights in it. And I enjoyed watching it. George St. Pierre was in it. So, of course, I'm going to be a little bit uh, biased towards it. But she discussed some of the situations of working on this. And this is what she had to say in an interview. She said this. While speaking with IndieWire, uh, Rebecca explained that members of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier's visual effects crew worked 75 days in a row and only got time off if they, quote unquote, had nervous breakdowns. I don't know how this is acceptable, she said. Uh, I don't know how you can work people like this. It was the first ever Marvel TV show. It was during COVID. Now, of course, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. WandaVision was the first ever show. I think this was the first one to go into production. Yeah. Uh, and they were producing it during COVID. And unfortunately, like, think about this. You're working 75 days in a row. We've heard from others that these work days were not nine to five, eight hour work days. They were 14, 16, 18 hour work days. Sometimes seven days a week. These incredible artists, they are literally called visual effects artists. And that's what these guys are. They are artists. I've worked with a lot of visual effects. I worked in the visual effects industry. The people who do this stuff are pure artistry and wizards at what they can do. So you know that. And that's why they gather them like gnomes, put them in these little sweatshops and make them work three months straight. Whatever, without days off, without sleep, without proper taking care of themselves, no sunlight. I hope they're popping vitamin D. Uh, and this, Rob, I think today, you know, we've, we've got a lot of attention being paid to actors and writers right now because they're on strike at the moment. So clearly a lot of attention needs to be brought there and, and there, there should be under certain circumstances. But the amount, it seems like the only time visual effects gets any attention is when we're either talking about that we didn't like the visual effects because I think we're completely spoiled with how good visual effects are today. Or unfortunately having to talk about how they work like this. I mean, and that this is the working conditions are under. And that's why we've been hearing stories that Marvel, the visual effects uh, artists there have, it's only 45 of them, but have this, have voted to join IATSE and it could be the first domino to fall in a lot of them. Rob, you've been in the industry a long time. This is unfortunately not rare. This is no. actually... The norm now hearing stuff like this. What do you think about when you hear stories like this being told? Well, I think people forget that visual effects has now taken over 10 different other disciplines, such as production design. Because now, you know, Marvel will set up on a giant green screen stage. Hey, we're going to go to we're going to go to Titan today and you're going to fight you know, Thanos and Thanos is going to bring down a, a mountain. Well, they should have a little foreground environment. They've got the actors acting against a green screen 
And then everything else is created by visual effects. The backgrounds, Thanos himself, the moon being pulled down. So you've got visual effects guys and girls and people recreating things that are part of like six or seven different disciplines that used to happen. Like you'd have them figure out, okay, we're going to have one matte painting over here that's going to be a set extension. Well, now they don't now they're relying, everything is going into the computer. So what would be done by six or seven different departments now is being done by one visual effects. And they're doing all different kinds of things. They're building set extensions or entire sets themselves. They're building characters. They're building spaceship battles. They're building all of these things. And they're expected to do uh, like almost more. I, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot more is now saddled visual effects have to do with them than it used to be in a normal film that had regular principal photography and they would augment it with visual effects. Now most films have visual effects in every single shot, which has made it untenable in terms the production times haven't, they're not like, well, we'll give you six more months. I no. still remember a story of a, of a older movie where they talked about how, Oh my God, this movie has 250 visual effects shots. Unbelievable. Now 2000 is, a Tuesday. Uh, yeah, and almost, I mean, they do everything from fixing blemishes on faces to to whatever. I mean, and uh, so visual effects are now doing makeup after the fact. They're doing costumes. I mean, you know, you see, how many Marvel movies do you see the characters not even wearing a costume? They're just wearing, you know, well, not even balls anymore. They're just wearing dots all over because the costume is generated in post. And if the costume is generated in post, that means every single shot with that character is now an effect shot. That didn't used to be the case. And when you have that, it exponentially has risen. Most movies now have 2,500 effect shots in them. That's crazy. It's insane. And and who's going to do those and in how much time? It's nuts. Uh, it, it is absolutely crazy. And I, I and that's why I really believe that out of not writers, not actors and, and everybody, there's so many disciplines and so many wonderful people, hardworking people, talented people who work to make movies. But with all due respect, I really do think visual effects artists are the most underappreciated. They're often the scapegoat for a lot of people on when when something isn't perfect and and probably the most underrecognized yes. I, I think in this entire industry and it's only getting worse i hope things can change because they sh certainly should, should unionize all right with that down guys let's talk about this last thing shall we uh the marvel cinematic universe despite the fact we're just talking about you know some of the working conditions for visual effects artists and it's not just in marvel movies it's in, in every movie they use visual effects my single favorite character in all of the mcu certainly not favorite comic book character but in the mcu Steve Rogers, Captain America has been my absolute favorite character, 100%. Not just because he's, it's a cool character, but he's got the best story. This person with an absolute moral North Star whose morality and whose morals, when he was first around back in the day of the World War, was completely aligned with his sense of patriotism and national uh, allegiance. Then works up in a new era when finds that now... His allegiance to his uh, patriotism is actually at odds with his morality and, and his moral North Star. It's an incredible story about an incredible character. And I think the MCU has been all the weaker ever since Steve Rogers has departed it uh, for a lot. Of it. It's a very difficult character to replace. And I have always believed that at some point, Chris Evans 
and Robert Downey Jr. for that matter, will return. I, I, I've always believed that. And Chris Evans has always been the kind of, you know, never say never kind of thing. But this is getting a little bit more concrete. He was recently interviewed, Chris Evans was, and asked specifically if he would ever return as Captain America, to which he actually said maybe and actually said some conditions about would open it up. This is what he said. He said, yeah, maybe just because it was such a wonderful experience, but I'm also very precious with it. It's something that I'm very proud of, his portrayal of Steve Rogers. And like I said, sometimes I can't believe it even happened. And I wouldn't want the back, I wouldn't want the black eye if it felt like a cash grab or if it didn't live up to expectations or if it just felt like it wasn't connected to the original thing. All right. So I think there's a couple of things here in this statement to kind of break down. First of all, yes, I would return as Captain America. Now, the conditions attached to that a little bit later on, but I think this is the first time that he's kind of straight up said, yes, I would. I, I would come back. Now, the couple of little circumstances he put on there, number one, it can't feel like it's just a crash gra- cash grab. I'll be honest with you, I haven't found many of the MCU films to feel like crash cash grabs. I, I, I've always felt like all, even the, the ones I didn't like, and same guy can be said of the DC movies as well, even the ones I didn't like, I've never felt any of them felt like cash grabs. They all no. felt like, some of them didn't work well, but they all had a vision. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they weren't, whatever. So it can't feel like a crash grab. I don't think that's it. But he goes on to say, because he loved playing the character so much, he says, I wouldn't want to also do if it doesn't live up to expectations or if it didn't feel like it was connected to the original thing. I think that last part is key because what I think he basically was saying there, and this is me, this is a matter of interpretation, okay? This is me interpreting. But when he says, I wouldn't want to do if it wasn't, didn't feel like it was connected to the original thing. I think what he is saying here is, I ain't going to come back to play a variant of Captain America. I ain't going to come back to play another universe's version of Steve Rogers. It's got to be the original thing. So whether it's through time travel kind of nonsense or whatever, it would have to be Steve the Steve that I played for all those years, if I am to come back, it would have to be that. That's what I'm interpreting it as when he says it has to be connected to the original thing. So, Rob, you heard Chris Evans' kind of statement here. Maybe, look, maybe it's just because I want it so badly that I I take this so optimistically. But what did you interpret from his things? And what do you think about the conditions he's put on it? Well, I mean, look, I love Chris Evans' perfect casting. I I love the way he played the character in all of those movies. Obviously, I think some of the best Marvel films are Captain uh, America-centric, like Falcon, I mean Falcon, like Winter Soldier and Civil War. I loved his portrayal of Captain America in the Avengers movies. Uh, And in terms of coming back, like, to me, I could see a, a, a way to do it pretty easily like obviously at the end of spoiler alert at the end of endgame he goes back in time and he lives his entire life with peggy you know it has a so at any point can you imagine if for whatever reason because he's aged you know you can take that into account if they had to go get him and get that steve rogers you could go back in time and it would be wrenching if he had to then leave peggy again like maybe they had a good 10 years oh. together and they now had children and the children might've been they're, they're, maybe they're eight, nine and someone goes back to him and we need you. We have to have you and you have to leave oh. here. He's gone back 
And and then, you know, we've seen him as an old man, but to see him taken away, how is he going to get back to Peggy? Did he ever get back to Peggy? We don't know. But you could really, there's a way to keep that same Steve Rogers and wrench him away from that beautiful life that he's with had. A, with some real drama attached Real to it. drama attached to it. And it could be heartbreaking and give him something to play. That's what he wants. He doesn't want it to be cheap or gimmicky or somebody comes back for 10 minutes. He's been given some of the best meaty role the roles to play in that Captain America has been right at the center of great drama, even though they're comic book movies. And that's what he wants. And that's what he deserves. And that's what he's earned. And so have we as the audience. You, know, you, t- you talked about perfect casting that he was. I, I wanted to share this. This was a, a picture of, um, this was at the very first ever screening of Captain America, the first Avenger. It was in San Diego uh, they did a fan screening of it there, and they arranged that I got to have a quick conversation with Chris Evans uh, after the screening. And this was <laughs> my first thing I said to him was like, "Listen, Chris, before we start, gotta let you know. I think The Losers is the most underrated comic book movie at the time. It's like my my this is before Man of Steel. I think The Losers is the most. Underrated. He's like right, and he starts going on for like three minutes about why The Losers was awesome and how much he loved The Losers. He was. He was incredible. I love him in this role. I would love to see him come back. And by the way, that is me saying I want him to come back. That is in no way any shade being cast on Anthony Mackie, who is fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic, um, too. I, I love Anthony Mackie, and I, I think he's been a great addition to the MCU. But, uh, yeah, I want Steve Rogers back. I really want Steve Rogers back. Anyway. Hey, guys, with that all down, we're now going to move on and start taking topics and questions from our beloved YouTube channel members. Now, before we get to that, though, we're going to take just a quick second and thank another sponsor of today's episode, my mobile service provider. I love these guys, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring the john campia show all right with that down guys let's get over and start hearing from our youtube channel members jonathan what do we got up here first all right Jai csc is first let me scroll up here agreed with all items on yesterday's dcu list uh may I, may i add one keep each project its own and as self-contained as possible, do a little bit of overall picture, yes, but don't spend 15, 20, 30 minutes on things that only get resolved in the fourth Justice League movie. Yeah, I think, look, I think it's a matter of balance. I think it's a matter of balance. Like, you do want, if you're going to create a cinematic universe, create a cinematic universe. 
But it doesn't have to be either or, right? Make sure you put in some really good self-contained stories. I think they should continue to do Elseworld stories, like movies that take place outside of the cinematic universe, like Joker, like the Batman. Keep doing one or two of those a year. Maybe like one a year or something like that. Or one every two years. But keep doing those as well. But you don't want to have a cinematic universe and then not make it feel like a cinematic universe, right? So... Again, I've been preaching this for a long time. It's not either or, make it both and. Rob, I know this is something you and I have talked a lot about because, and that's been one of the topics of frustration for some MCU fans the last couple of years is that suddenly the MCU doesn't feel connected to each other at all. I don't know. What would you say to that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, 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 the whole thing seems, you know, everything, the, the uh, phases one, two, and three all built on each other. The situation you saw in a previous movie had something to do with the next film or something was 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 building. There was a tapestry being woven. And I feel, look, as much as we, you and I both like Shang-Chi, where's that led? Mm. You know, where's the Ten Rings organization? We haven't heard it mentioned. I mean, and I, and I feel that the momentum is missing. I mean, it's it's gone, like literally gone. And I don't I, know. I think you're right. The momentum has gone. Yeah. The, and, and I'm like, I watch like quantum mania, like this epic thing happens, but it's in the quantum realm. When you leave the quantum realm, who knows it's, who, who even knew that even occurred? <laughs> like it, it doesn't. And, and so Arashem, the judge came to earth and said, well, I'm going to judge humanity. No one seems to care. Anyways, yeah. Never mind. And look, a lot of this would, would be stuff we'd probably overlook if all the movies were fantastic, but I mean, that's been part of the problem too, is not like Shang-Chi was fantastic, but. A lot of them haven't been fantastic. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of different things. All right, what's next? Dr. Stinky says, hey, John and crew, I think Killers of the Flower Moon has a chance of being a cult classic. Uh, the sheer scale of this film looks incredible. Martin Scorsese is easily one of my favorite directors of all time, and I can't wait to see this masterpiece. This is not going to be a cult classic. If it's going to be anything, it'll be a classic. Uh, Martin Scorsese films with big period bio things like... This isn't the the material of cult classics. Cult classics is more for stuff like these outlier films that look ridiculous, but then they, they gain a following. Something like Little Shop of Horrors, something like uh, Army of the Dead, or, uh, or or stuff like that. So, I mean, this has got the makings. Now, look, we don't know. We haven't seen the movie. We've only seen trailers. Maybe it'll be bad. But it's got the makings to be a classic, not necessarily a cult classic. I, I don't know. Am I... Am I Am I nitpicking on, on terminologies here, or how would you say? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's a big, epic, sprawling story about this piece of American history that people don't know much about. On one hand, it's you're talking about the birth of the FBI, and on the other hand, you're talking about what happened with the Osage Nation and the fact that they had all these oil rights. I mean, it's a and people were killing for them, murdering them. Yeah. So I don't see this as a cult movie at all. The Aviator. There's a Martin Scorsese cult movie that I love. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, Red One Real Talk says, Hey, crew, one issue I've had with Disney Animation is how hard it can be to distinguish between their projects and Pixar films. Since they moved to making 3D animated films, does this bother you as well? Uh, I do often miss Disney's traditional 2D animation. No, it, it doesn't bother me at all because I've never been one to look at the name of the corporation attached to the movie to a movie. That's why I always thought the whole Marvel versus DC fanboys things was always so utterly stupid and pathetic. It's like, you guys are arguing over which corporation put their brand on a movie. Why can't we just look at a movie and evaluate a movie for what it is? So I, I honestly don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. Like when I'm sitting in a theater and I'm watching, say, Elemental, which is a wonderful movie, I'm not sitting there going, 
oh, it's a good thing this is Pixar or else I, no, it's either the movie's good or it's not. Um, so it really doesn't bother me at all. You are right though, that at one point in history, it would have been easy to visually make, you know, discern the difference between what a Pixar movie and a Disney film is. And, and that's become a little bit more closely aligned, but that kind of started when John Lasseter became the head of both Disney animation. Remember Lasseter was not just the head of Pixar for a number of years. He was the head of Disney animation and the head of Pixar at the same time. So uh, it can be a little bit different, difficult sometimes to differentiate between the two, but all I care about at the end of the day is when I go into a theater, Rob, and watch them. I don't know. Does, does that something that stands out to you? No, because I think, you know, it really, it's also to the subject matter. Pixar movies are sort of different. I don't know if Pixar would have made Frozen, for instance. Right. You know, that was Disney animation or Tangled. Yeah, you know? that, that, that was a very Disney feeling film. You're Zootopia. Right. You know, whereas Pixar, they've got Toy Story and they've got, like, I, I still go back to f f proto prototypical Pixar. I love The Bug's Life. <laughs> I love that movie, you know? All right. I love the Chopper character. All right. What's next? Uh, we've got uh, Lori Howard who says, I can't be a fan. Fam, uh, did we ever hear what was the next with uh, Aziz movie? Uh, that was halted due to Bill Murray. Watch an old episode and wonder if they restarted it. Know about the strike, but otherwise. That's a very good question. It's a very good question. For those of you who don't know, this is, look, sometimes it what really sucks in life, but particularly in the entertainment business, is when you have a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of things and working towards this big goal and maybe somebody's dream, and then it gets derailed and destroyed, not because of something you did, but because of something somebody else did. The movie's called Being Mortal. Mortal. Was that the name yeah, of it? I thought it had mortal. a different name. Okay. So Aziz, uh, Aziz Ansari was from Parks and Rec. It was so great in that. And then what was the name of his show that everybody loved? Uh, Master of None? Was that the name yeah. of it? Yeah. I actually wasn't a big fan of that show, but a lot of people loved it. Won some awards. He had this idea for this movie, and they, they had Bill Murray was one of the actors in it. And they were filming this movie of his. And then some kind of disturbing accusation stuff came out um, about some behavior on set and, and whatever. We're not going to relitigate it here. But at the end of the day, the studio just said, we can't keep doing the movie with Bill. And we don't want to put up the money to reshoot all this stuff. Movie's canceled. As far as I know, that was the last thing I heard of it, that it was just derailed, period, it got scrapped, which think about how, ma how, much, how many people's work just got ruined, how many people's dreams just got ruined. Um, it's, it was really an unfortunate situation. But I, again, the last I heard, Rob, was that it was just as, you know, uh, Tom Hatherford, his character in Parks and Rec, would say, it's just donezo, as far as I know. Have you heard anything different? I haven't heard anything, you know, and I, and I thought it was crazy that it got shut down, and I haven't heard a thing since. Yeah, he said, it says that he intends to revisit it, but as far as May 2023, the production was shut down. Right, so maybe he'll he'll go and pitch it to another studio someday or something like because that. Because Searchlight but... was behind, was funding, was All the, right. the distributor. All right, what's next? I mean, says the uh, first reviews reactions for the creator came out yesterday. They've gotten me hyped. Let's go. Can't wait. It honestly looks like the exact type of sci-fi I enjoy. Not expecting a masterpiece or anything, but I love seeing these types of original stories. Well, according to the reactions, it is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, I know a lot of people have been very, very excited about it, much more excited than I have been. Again, I like the last trailer and, and hearing these reviews have suddenly got me very interested. I already have my tickets. So we already got our tickets for it, by the way. Also going to go see a little bit of Expendables tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I have fun watching the Expendables <laughs> movies. Who cares? Um, so, yeah, very excited to see it now. And I love hearing the reactions that we're hearing. All right. What's next? CJ Rebirth writes, uh, I finally watched Spielberg's Ready Player One a few nights ago on Hulu. And OMG, it was awesome. One of my favorite movies now or ever now. Uh, I like the story, the references, the cast, the music, the visuals. Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook's characters were my favorite. I'll tell you what, I am one of the few people that never read Ready Player One. So I kind of, I very much went into that movie cold. I, I, I was not a big fan of the story because I didn't know it. Uh, I was just going in to see a new Steven Spielberg movie and I knew it was based on this popular book. I loved that movie. I really did. I, I thought it was a, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it should have been nominated for Best Picture or anything, but I thought it was a truly wonderful film that could have gone off the rails really. Like when you look at everything that's happening in that movie, that is a movie that could have gone off the rails real fast, real easy. But they told this wonderful, again, had that sense of adventure to yeah. it, had that, had this wonderful storyline. They kept it character centric. Um, I just thought it was a blast. I don't think you and I have ever talked about Ready Player One. What did you think? No, I mean, look, dude, I read the book and I was so annoyed by that book. I wanted to throw it across the room so many times. <laughs> and um, uh, I like the movie. I, I thought the movie was a lot of fun. I thought it distilled. It was the, the, all of the references in the book were so annoying to me. It seemed like they were just shoveled in there. I'm like, I'm like, yes, I know this reference. You know, it was like saying that every eight times a page. I thought the movie did a really great job of distilling everything down, and it was fun. I thought the movie was really fun. I liked the characters. I liked the visuals. They did some really. I loved seeing the RX seven eight Gundam in quote oh, yeah. unquote live action, <laughs> but they did a lot of fun stuff in that movie. And I thought it was a great distillation of the book. And more so than what it was in the book, Steven Spielberg kind of used it as an avenue to make that movie kind of a love letter to the shining. Right. He, yeah. You know, Cause that's one of his all time. And that was a movies. different, that was not in the book. That was not, that was a different thing in the book, but he incorporated that love of his, that he has in, into the movie. And it was flawless. And I also like that it's part of Steven Spielberg's love affair with Mark Rylance. Yes. That started yes. like Bridge of Spies. <laughs> Even did and B had him in BFG. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's great. All right. What's next? All right. We got uh, Aaron who writes, hey, crew, I started playing my PS4 after a few years and I found Star Wars uh, Battlefront 2 for five bucks. Wow. This game is the greatest thing that ever happened to Star Wars. It's like Call of Duty, but so much better. Uh, wondering if you guys have ever played it and why wasn't there a third one? Um, yeah, I played, I, I was not a fan of the first Star Wars Battlefront, but I, I did play Battlefront 2. It was a hoot. Uh, my favorite uh, war area was the uh, Yavin base. When you're running around, I had this great spot on top of the Millennium Falcon that you could snipe really easy. It was great. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the game. I, I didn't think it was like an all-time great game, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do a Battlefront 3 at some point. I, I, wasn't there something about the people who made Battlefront 2 lost the license to do Star Wars games? I yeah, might be I think thinking of something did. else. But that, that might be a part of it. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I like the game. All right, what's next? All right, we got our last question here. So I'm going to roll credits on our uh, wonderful channel members here while I read it. Um, so this comes from Mr. Hank Dunn, who writes, Have you seen the trailer for the new Nicolas Cage movie, Dream Scenario? Oh. Uh, Cage plays this regular dude, but he starts appearing in everyone 
or everyone on Earth's dreams. He doesn't do what? anything in the dream. He just kind of stands there, and from <laughs> that, he gains fame. I saw the trailer to this yesterday. So did I. I just saw this and pop up on IMDb. You know, we often talk about it's very, very difficult to come up with something that is actually truly original today. Like everything that comes out today, it has a lot of originality, but that originality stems from like a lot of homages and influences by and all that kind of stuff. I have never heard of anything remotely like this. So just <laughs> like he just described in the letter, Nicholas Cage plays this average guy. He's a college professor, not at a high profile college, just a average dude who starts to find out and people start talking to each other that he, even people who never met him, he's, he's appearing in their dreams, not necessarily doing anything, but just, he's just there in their dreams. And it starts to come out that, wait a minute, like somebody shows them a pic, another person, a picture of the guy who keeps being in their dreams. And they're like, that's the guy in my dreams. And it's Nicholas Cage. And it is so ridiculous that it's one of those trailers that by the time the trailer ended, I did not want the trailer to end. I Like, what's going on? Apparently, it is a comedy. Uh, a lot of the review quips have come up about how it's one of the funniest movies in a long time. It's one of his, It's one of Nick Cage's best performances. I'll tell you what, I hadn't even heard of this movie until I saw the trailer. And I'm dying to see this thing. Did you have a chance to see the trailer? Uh, the trailer is great. By the way, the twist in the movie is that he starts out just appearing in their dreams, and then everyone starts having nightmares. And he's oh, yeah, in there, you know, he's in their nightmares well. and things, and it starts driving the world crazy. I, like you said, John, it, it, it made me think of being John Malkovich. Oh, you know, that's the Charlie Kaufman movie, yeah, yeah. which is this kind of an outlandish story that could only, it could never happen in real life. You know, it's so weird and off. Like, I love it. I, I like you, I, I, the trailer I'd read about, it played at some festival and people, I think it was at Telluride maybe or TIFF and people loved it. But I, I I didn't get a sense. I read about it. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, what? And then it wasn't until yesterday where, I, like you, I'm like, oh, my God, this looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, just. I've never seen Nicolas Cage like this. And no. I I am dying to see this movie. I, I can't wait to check it out. And with that said, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members, number one, for being YouTube channel members and supporting what we do, but also for submitting those questions for us to discuss. Don't forget, guys, once again, make sure you all go and subscribe to our audio-only podcast feed that's simply called the John Campus Show Podcast. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. And don't forget, we also include our open mic audio in that feed as well. So you get two shows for the price of one subscription. And of course, by price, we mean free. I want to thank the people in the room with me. Ray Ora. See ya. Jonathan Voico. See you later. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.